Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Happy Friday to everybody. Dan Cilio here on the National Football Show. How is everyone doing on this beautiful Friday? How could it not be a beautiful Friday for you when it's football season 24-7? It's football season 24-7 here on the National Football Show, and we welcome you aboard. God, we got another powerhouse show lined up for you today. Okay, we have the legendary Kurt Warner. You know what I love about Kurt Warner's story? Here's a guy that was told you can't play in the National Football League five, six times. Okay, teams didn't want this guy. Nobody wanted him on his football team. You know what they kept saying? Hey, man, this guy really is impressive. So you know what he had to do? He had to go to the World League. Then he had to go to the Arena Football League. Then by chance, he gets an opportunity with Dick Vermeil. And things happen. And, and, and sometimes injuries is your best opportunity. What's he get? Trent Green goes down in the exhibition season. And Dick Vermeil and Mike Martz, who was the then offensive coordinator, who then would go on to be the head football coach and coach Kurt for a long time, they're in St. Louis. And they were making a decision after, after Trent Green got hurt. And Green gets hurt, and every coach sat in that St. Louis room. And you know what they told Vermeil? Hey, man, I don't know. You know, I I think we need to go out in a free agent market and try to find or make a deal to try to bring a quarterback in here because we we have a Super Bowl roster. All those coaches on that team thought they had a Super Bowl roster. By the way, as it played out, they they were right in the end that year. They were clearly right. Greatest show on turf. But you know what Vermeil said to all the coaches in the room? He's like this. Now, there's something about this Warner kid. There's just something about Kurt Warner. They went with him. It was a gut feeling. And think about that for a minute. How many gut feeling decisions have been made at that position that have completely panned out? I can go back to Joe Montana. When they had Joe Montana and they drafted him back in the day in San Francisco, Bill Walsh drafted that dude in the third round. They had a guy in Steve DeBerg who was a Pro Bowl quarterback. And you know what he said? There's something about that kid. Four Super Bowls later. Legend. How about this one? Bill Belichick, you end up giving a guy a contract, an $18 million signing bonus, and Drew Bledsoe, you sign him to a $100 million contract. He ends up getting hurt in that Thursday night game or Monday night game against the Jets. All of a sudden, this dude, Tom Brady, rolls in. And and, and Bill Belichick has to go to Bob Kraft. You know what he tells Bob Kraft? Hey, Bob, guess what, dude? Okay, we're going with him. I know you gave that guy $18 million, but I'm going with the six-rounder. What? Gut feeling. How about Russell Wilson? They make a move up there in the offseason prior to Wilson being drafted for Matt Ryan or Matt Flynn, I think his name was, from the Green Bay Packers. They give that guy a $17 million contract. 
This guy ends up beating him out, and Pete Carroll has to go to, like, the ownership group, and he has to go to Paul Allen and say, you know that money we gave that guy? I'm going with the third rounder. Gut feeling. That's exactly what they did in St. Louis with Kurt Warner. Gut feeling. What ended up happening? He won the regular season MVP. He would go on to win the Super Bowl MVP, and then he would lay down a Hall of Fame career as a starting quarterback. What a great story. If there is a story of perseverance, you can't have a better story than Kurt Warner and what he brought to the National Football League with his character and his play. Now he's on the NFL Network, and we'll talk to him about all the numerous topics that surround the NFL. One of my favorite people of all time. I've known Tony Bruno for around 25 years, and we have been such dear friends. He's one of the absolute greatest sports talk guys. He's one of the absolute greatest sports broadcasters. The legendary Tony Bruno will join us also. That'll all be in hour number two. So we'll kick this bad puppy up here and we'll we'll move it along here. I, I, I want to start it out with a story that I heard today. And this goes down the line of the New England Patriots. And this goes to what is going to be expected from Mac Jones, the first round draft choice of the Patriots by Bill Belichick out of Alabama. Michael Irvin was doing his podcast, and I texted Michael earlier after he had Julian Edelman on. And Julian Edelman said that it's going to be very hard on the rookie quarterback in New England. People in New England expect you to win. You have to win. You're replacing the GOAT. All these expectations are on you to win today, not tomorrow. There's no three-year plans in the NFL anymore. Nobody sits around with three-year plans. Coaches aren't given that latitude any longer, man. We are like a gnat organization of people in this country now where your attention span has the attention span of a gnat. We don't sit there and watch baseball games. You know why baseball doesn't have any fans any longer? You're not going to sit around for four and a half hours at a ball game. Nobody has that disposable time any longer. We like sports that have a clock. Start time, finish time, I'm home. Not going to sit there all day like playing golf for four hours. It ain't happening. That is not happening. I'm going to use my time to do something better than that. Sit around chasing a white golf ball for four and a half hours. Not up my alley right now. No, thank you. I got things I can do that are a lot more fun. And how about this? Don't take all day long to do. Not doing it. Plus, that game drives me nuts anyway. So when, when your expectations at that position in New England to turn that baby around, Mac Jones, Edelman said today on Michael Irvin's podcast, he goes like this. He goes, hey, man, this guy, they're going to be rough on him. Well, let's take a look at that. I, I, I really don't think Julian Edelman understands who Mac Jones played for. He played for arguably the toughest coach in all of sports, and Nick Saban. You think Nick Saban, when you get into a meeting with him and he sees something fundamentally or technique-wise that you're not doing, you don't think he's going to tell you and put you on blast immediately? And, and, and for the record, I heard that Mac Jones, if there was something that the quarterback didn't like, him and 
him and Nick would have a back and forth. I actually like that. If there is any guy that is prepared for a city, Mac Jones would have been great in Philly. Because you know why? There's no doubt that Bill Belichick says you think he can handle all the criticism that he's going to get. Saban probably looked at, at Belichick and said, well, who do you think he's been playing for for the last couple of years? And let's not forget something. He had to sit behind and wait his time as well. He had to wait behind Tucker Viola. He had to wait and sit there behind guys like Hertz. He had to wait, man. And he did win a national championship. Becomes a first-round draft choice. You know, I love when people do this all the time, too. And they talk about, you know, well, he played on a really stacked team and a great team. Yeah, well, did they win it? Yeah, well, guess what? Then he delivered. You know, you can always say this about a quarterback or a player. Well, he played with great talent. Well, that's – I want to play with great talent. What the hell do you think you're doing in the NFL? Playing with sorry-ass talent? These are the elite of the elite of the elite players on the planet. When you're one of these guys that has an NFL contract and you're in that league, you got a better chance of being an astronaut than you do play uh, an opportunity in National Football League. A better chance to be an astronaut. And you think these are the one percenters of the one percenters. So when you get to the National Football League, okay, hey, bang. It's like thanking me for not robbing a bank. Of course, these guys are all good. Some teams are more exceptional. They have a better collection of team of guys that are on their team. My point again with Mac Jones, I don't think Mac Jones could be any better prepared to go up to New England and to try and replace the GOAT. What Don't you think he's been schooled? Edelman says, well, he's going to be really treated. Well, I can promise you this. When you're at Alabama, you know, I, I always tell people, why do you think we won so much and the Jimmy Johnson Miami Hurricane teams, which were iconic, I mean, how many how many 30 for 30s have they made on us? Four? I mean, honestly, right? All those 30 for 30s and they're, they're some of the highest rated because people loved what we did. But you know why we were so successful? I had Russell Maryland, Cortez Kennedy, Warren Sapp. I had all these guys behind me. You're not taking a day off. As soon as you take a day off, they're taking your gig. You can't take days off. That's why when Belichick throws that line out, no days off. There is no days off when you're a team like that and you're a champion like that. Absolutely no days off. He is so prepared in my opinion, to take on this challenge. And I, 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 can't, I, I personally can't wait to see how he takes on these challenges. I, I really do. I, I have nothing but the greatest respect for Mac Jones and what his opportunity is now going to be in New England. Do I think he'll be, Bella, do I think he'll be Belichick's next great quarterback? I don't know. I have no idea. But I do think that you're talking about a kid that was schooled and he couldn't have landed in a better place because the expectations are high to win. They should be. You could have been drafted by the Jets where expectations are nothing. You could be, you know, drafted to the Jaguars where they're just hoping that Trevor Lawrence pans out to be a good quarterback. You think they're thinking still Super Bowls with 
Trevor Lawrence right now, they're praying he's a good player. They're not, they're not putting expect. Do you know what they're doing with Mac Jones up in New England? They're praying he's going to lead them to a Super Bowl. Think, think of the mentality difference there with that. You're looking around at Jacksonville doing this. Hey, I hope he's good. I hope he's a guy who can lead us to a winning record. In New England, they're saying, Mac Jones, I hope he leads us to another Super Bowl. You need to be the next guy. All right. Let's move on to this. So my guy, Krause, was telling me prior to coming on. And by the way, I had, I had seen it. I went on NFL.com too, and I couldn't. You know what? I could believe it. So the top five items that are on NFL.com are all Tim Tebow items. Jerseys and, you know, uh, shirts, everything that they have on there. It's all Tim Tebow. Tebow mania is in high gear. And you know what I say? Wonderful. You know, you're going to get people in the media and also players in the league that are going to be very jealous of this. You see, here's the problem that you have with NFL players. With a guy like Tebow that has so much fame and he has so much clout with that fame and people love the guy, people love his, his religious convictions, which I do too. He's such a good – by the way, of all the guys who have ever played sports, if there was something negative and there was something that was detrimental to his conduct, I would be very disappointed. And he would be probably the only athlete that I've ever been disappointed in when it came to their character. The rest of these guys, I don't know from a can of paint. Okay, so to sit around and go, yeah, man, I know you, – you don't – it's like – when people say something about me, on the, you don't know me, man. You think you do, okay? Just because of all the years of my broadcasting career, you think you know me. You don't know me, okay? You don't hang out with me in my you, – you'd have no idea who I am and what I believe in, my politics. You kind of maybe get a tinge of it if you listen to me enough. But you don't know me, man, okay? You have no idea. So when you see Tebow – Tebow lays it all out there for you. And I love what I'm seeing with all the fans getting excited in Jack Jacksonville. And, and think of the memorabilia business right now. Think of this for a second. By the way, I, I found out what Tebow's contract is. He's going to make around $920,000. That's the league minimum. Um, he has an injury clause in there so that if he does get hurt, they're not completely on the hook for the entire 920. But you know what he also gets? Get this. He gets a percentage of all the merchandise sold that relates to Tim Tebow and the Jags and the number 85. That $920,000 contract, he's going to pay for that contract in one month. Tim Tebow is a gold mine. And if you think that this is going to be only for three months or this is going to be a camper's dream where you're only going to see him, this guy, you sign him, you're not cutting him. There is no way you're cutting him. Maybe they offer him a job as a coach and he becomes a coach there in Jacksonville if it gets to a point where it's a complete – you know, nightmare, and he's just not good enough to play the position. Maybe they – but he ain't leaving the Jag organization. He's going to be involved with it. 
You didn't sign this guy to blow him out in three months. You signed this guy because you're building, and there's a couple things here. You're you're building people. Look at me, man. My second block is Tim Tebow and the Jags. What? Tim Tebow and the Jags? Tebow hasn't played football in 10 years, and the Jags haven't been relevant like in ever. And we're talking Jags and Tebow. Now, will the stupid Gator fans and all these guys, uh, when, when Lawrence struggles, put Tebow. Oh, yeah, those guys will be there, but that's okay. Trevor Lawrence is going to need some of that stuff. He's going to need some adversity. You know, that's the one thing I'll tell you about Trevor Lawrence that I'm very interested in seeing how he handles adversity. Okay? Here's a guy, when he was at Clemson, this guy had a yellow brick road, man. Everything was laid out for him. Smooth. Greatest talent every time he stepped on the field, traditionally until he got to the Final Four. But every time he stepped on an ACC football field, this guy had the best roster and he had the best talent around him, and he had the best coaching around him. Not going to be the case when you get to Jacksonville. You're going to have good coaches around you. You're going to have marginal players around you, and you're not going to have the best roster on the field. The majority of the time, you're going to be an underdog in games that you play where in your entire life, from high school to college, you were the favorite. Now you're not the favorite. Now you've got to kind of carry that franchise out of the doldrums. That's what's being asked of you. And I think it's great that you have a guy um, that's on that roster that could take maybe a little bit of that steam away in case things go south because Tebow can always settle the room. Hey, man, I'm here to play tight end. I'm not here to play quarterback. And he'll settle that. He'll make that very apparent. I'm not here for that. I'm here to help him. And that's another reason why I think that Urban Meyer brought him in. You know, I, I, I said this earlier, and I said this a couple days ago about the environment that Urban Meyer is trying to create in Jacksonville. How do you create an environment for your football team, your business? You know what you do? Like, I'll give you for instance. So, like, if you have a hamburger stand and you're opening this hamburger stand, are you going to hire – Quality guys who have worked in franchises, or are you going to hire guys who you trust and you know, and you know are going to show up to work, aren't going to steal from you, and you're going to get the best that you possibly can out of these guys because, quite frankly, they're loyal to you. I would much rather hire people that I know, know my culture, and then start sporadically looking at people that can help me run my franchise and push my franchise across the street and push it across the county, push it across the state. And before you know it, I got quality people that are also in the room, but also know my culture. And that's exactly what Meyer's doing. Meyer's bringing guys from Ohio State and Gator guys into the building. So every single guy in that Jacksonville locker room knows what's to be expected. This is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to practice. Here's the game tempo we're going to do consistently when I expect you to do this. That's what you have in Pittsburgh. Expectations are set in practice. They're not set in games on Sundays. The greatest thing about the Steelers, their, their entire organization is set up Monday through Saturday. And then in the offseason, the same thing Monday through Saturday. They have a way of doing business, and they have a way of doing business that they've done for over 50 years. And nothing has deviated. Maybe they massage it a little bit. Maybe they maneuver it. 
maybe they adjust to a few things, COVID-19, you know, lesser rounds in the draft. Maybe they do it, but they're never going to get off their fundamental goals of what they want to do and accomplish each and every single year. They're just not going to do that. That's not how they are. And that's why the Steelers create continuity every year. That's why they're never over the rails when it comes to signing free agents. They don't go and spend the money because you know why? They believe in their own process. That's what the Jags have to get to. That's what really every organization, when you see organizations going out and you see teams out there making moves all the time, every year, those are the loser franchises. The ones that sit back and reinvest in your own people, that invest in your own process, that's how you get success. That's how you win. And that's how you build a great organization. You know, when I played for Jimmy Johnson, and the reason I bring up Coach, I'm so happy that he's going into the Hall of Fame this summer. He didn't get a chance to have his ceremony last year. And they're going to have, like, the, the two classes, the 20 and the 2021 class, all going into the Hall of Fame. There's going to be a great ceremony in Canton. I can't wait to see Coach Johnson. Go in. I mean, he, he his environments were so awesome to work for. You know, we practiced game tempo, everything we did, getting water, running to drills, running on the field, running wind sprints, doing everything was game tempo. Everything was game tempo, pursuit drills, everything, tackling drills. Everything was full go, man. We always used to ask him, Coach, why do you do it that way? He goes, because when you get into a game, Game tempo is never going to be an issue. You have beaten game tempo in practice. So the point was everything we did was game-related. We just didn't do things for craps and giggles. We did things because they had a reason for it, and it would pay off on Saturdays or Sundays. That's how Jimmy was able to build one of the greatest college football dynasties and NFL dynasties. That Cowboy dynasty it's one of the greatest football teams because you know why? They were not only a great team, but they were the youngest team in the league at the time when they won those Super Bowls. Man, there were like two guys over 30 on that team. And they built it with youth. They built it with, without a doubt, some of the absolutely best coaches that laid down the chemistry that was needed to be in that room. All right. I got a way of making Aaron Rodgers happy, okay? I, I, I have the solution, and I'm going to tell you next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Seven, three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams 
deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio, Kurt Warner. The Hall of Famer will join us at the top of the hour from the NFL Network. We'll go around the National Football League with our friend. Man, he is so good, I think, on the NFL Network. I like that whole dynamic they have there on that network. It's gotten really, I think it's really gotten a lot better. And I love the fact that they use the ex-players. That's kind of what I do on my show. If you really look at, you know, the people that we have as guests on our program, I like the ex-players more so than I do like the dot-com guys to come on and really give us their insight and kind of give us their feelings when it comes to playing the game. So Kurt Warner will be at the top of the hour. We're also going to catch up with our friend, Tony Bruno. All right. I, I, I've got the, I've got the remedy here to fix this whole relationship with Aaron Rodgers and with the Packers. What would be the one thing you think that would put a smile on Aaron Rodgers' face? By the way, there's one thing right now that we know. It's not the contract because there's a three-year contract that's on the table that would pay him north of $40 million. So that's, that's not it right now. There's something else that's bugging him. And I think when you see what Tom Brady did, Tom Brady goes like this. I want Leonard Fournette. What do the Bucs do with Jason Light, the GM? They pluck him off the free agent wire. They get him. He wanted to get Antonio Brown. Remember, Bruce Arians didn't want that dude on the team. But after they started winning some more, Bruce Arians relented. Okay, I'll get it from him. They wanted Gronkowski back. Went out and got him. Tom Brady wanted to have all the players back. All the court. They got everything back. They wanted to do this one more time. There they go. Everybody signed, sealed, and delivered. If you're a quarterback and you're looking around the league right now and you're watching that dude, what he did, remember what Brady did too. I don't think it gets underscored enough in what he did. He left arguably the greatest coach in the history of the NFL and said, you don't have a good enough roster anymore for me. And you know what the Patriots said? Well, we don't think 
that you have a lot left in the gas tank. Nobody lets a guy who goes and wins a Super Bowl go when you you have to realize if you're the Patriots, you made a mistake, right? Not retooling the team around Brady. You Brady proved it. You let that franchise deteriorate around him. And Brady kept pointing it out, pointing it out, pointing it out. And guess what? Eventually, he just threw his hands up and said, you're not listening. He goes to Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady gets everything he wants. It's like a kid with a Christmas tree, and he's got a Christmas wish list. But guess what? Santa brings him everything. Santa brought him everything in Tampa. Put everything under his tree. How many times do you think he used to ask with that Christmas list to Belichick and the Patriots? I wish we'd get this. I wish, And they wouldn't answer it. Tom Brady got it. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're watching this. Dude, do I want to remain? Here, if you're Rodgers, you're doing this. All right. Do I want to remain in Green Bay knowing that this team's going to half-ass it on that roster? Look at the dumbass move they made with Jordan Love. How, how, how does it, it's a bust of a mistake too, and they they won't admit it yet, but they're they're admitting it now by not moving off of Aaron Rodgers. So you know, because with all the stuff that was said, Aaron Rodgers has made it very clear that guy's not ready. Because when they believed that Aaron Rodgers was ready, they pushed Brett Favre off a cliff to get him out of Green Bay. See you, Brett. All your belly aching and all that BS. Well, guess what? You're out. We got the guy who we drafted, and they thought they were going to duplicate that. Then they watched him practice. Then they realized, holy cow, this guy can't play. Or he's years away from playing. By the way, I look at Jordan Love, and I look at Trey Lance. I don't know the difference. I think those two dudes are the same. I think Trey Lance is a couple years away from getting on an NFL field, unless he's put in, like, wildcat situations. I don't see that guy rolling in and all of a sudden being Cam Newton. I don't see it yet. Then again, I haven't really seen a lot of game film on him unless he's somebody like, uh, you know, Warren Moon or something, which I didn't see in college, the limited amount of games I watched him play. I don't know. I got a lot of question marks on that dude. All right. So here's how you fix this whole thing with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. You ready? Okay. Go get him Julio Jones. Go get him Julio you want the Green Bay Packers to end up mending fences. Go get that dude, Julio Jones. Yeah, but Danny's going to count a lot against the cap. All right. Well, this is how you can put it in Aaron Rodgers' lap. Hey, Aaron, do us a favor. Sign this new contract extension. And then what we'll do is we'll come back to you immediately and you'll restructure the contract so we can fit Julio Jones under the cap and we can get him on the football team because – you took a reduction on your salary, and we got him here. You know, you're going to get more of a signing bonus. You'll make more money this year than, you know, you've made maybe in your entire life at any time for any one particular year. Um, it's really – it's beneficial to everybody. Okay. I think Rodgers would be open to that. I mean, here, bringing in a guy like Julio Jones and putting Julio Jones in that offensive huddle – I'll tell you what, man, you close the gap on the Packers and the Bucks real quick. Can you imagine Julio Jones with Aaron Rodgers, how accurate that dude is? Julio Jones would have 130 catches. 
130, and he's playing on grass. And guess what else it gets to do for him? If someone's going to go like this, yeah, man, that's cold weather. Yeah, but it's a chance to win a Lombardi trophy and put a ring on your finger and get this. Julio Jones needs a ring on his finger if he thinks he's going to stand in that long line of wide receivers to get into Canton. The common denominator for the NFL Hall of Fame voters is, hey, were you one of the best at your position? Yes. Did you win? Kind of. But if you put a Super Bowl ring on his hand, guess what? All of a sudden, you're starting with a different conversation with Julio Jones, right? A guy went up to Green Bay, and him and Aaron Rodgers just absolutely, for over the next two years, just destroyed the league. I mean, it was like watching Brady and Randy Moss just throw touchdown after touchdown. Man, that thing would be insane to watch and fun to watch. But would the Packers make that move? Packers aren't known to doing that. They're they're not known for taking a leap of faith on something. You know, the only time they've really ever made a leap of faith on someone was Reggie White. That's the only time I can remember that they ever really made that leap of faith on someone. They gave Reggie that giant uh, free agent contract when he left Philadelphia. And I've told everyone this, and I know this for a fact. I spoke to Reggie when he was alive. Um, He would never left Philadelphia if Jerome Brown hadn't passed away. And um, he he wouldn't have that. I think that defense would have stayed intact for maybe five more years. I'm not saying that Buddy would have kept a job because he he wouldn't have. But when they gave that job to Rich Kotai, that was the end of that whole thing. Nobody liked Rich Kotai, and that was the absolute end of that entire run that they had with that really good football team with Randall on the other side of the football, uh, spinning that football for them. That was a good football team. And it was an exceptional defense. But the Packers aren't known for doing that stuff. They're just, they're not known for going out and and, and making free agent signs. They're kind of like the Steelers in a way, but the Steelers are much better drafters when it comes to putting and constructing football teams. So go get them Julio Jones, dude. You put Julio Jones on that team, we're talking about a football team that could definitely knock off the Buccaneers. All right. You know, I was I was asked a question by a couple of guys at the NFL Network yesterday. You know, I, I, I'm starting to do a lot more stuff again, and we become a little bit busier and busier. You know, people are reaching out to us, and somebody at the NFL Network asked me my opinion um, about the offenses this year, that if you could give me your top five offenses, as you see right now, as we get ready to go into the OTAs, and as we get ready to go into training camp in July, could you put down the five best offenses? And I answered them. I said, yeah, I'll do this. So, you know, I was talking to Willie McGinnis, and I was talking to uh, some of the guys there, and Kyle Brandt, and we, 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 were, we were going back and forth. And they said, let me hear your five. So I'm going to give you the five that I spoke to with the NFL Network. I'm going to start it out with the Rams. I really love this offense. I do. And the reason I love the offense is because I love Sean McDermott. I think Sean McDermott, in my opinion, is the best coach. Excuse me, Sean McVay. I think he's the best coach in the NFC West, and that includes Kyle Shanahan. I think he is the best. That includes Pete Carroll. When it comes to play calling and it comes to putting offenses together, 
You know, you would never do this in Seattle. Pete's really put a really great offense around Russell Wilson. You wouldn't really ever really say that, right? But when you watch the schemes and you watch the play calling of Sean McVay in Los Angeles, I think he's, I think he's brilliant. You know, one of the cool things about being around him, I've known him since he was 15 years old. And being around him, he used to be able to, and I'm sure he can still do this, just like, like he can give you plays from Super Bowls 30 years ago and break down every single angle of the play and why the quarterback got the ball into the end zone or why that sequence was doing well when it came to going for first downs in a Super Bowl. It could have been the Denver Broncos, the Washington uh, Redskins at the time. It could have been any of those teams that won Super Bowls. And he breaks down all 65 plays. He's gone back in history. And I love this about him. It's like a general going back and studying Napoleon or Patton or Rommel or any of those great generals. They go back and they study techniques. They play like war games. And that's kind of what Sean does. McVeigh will, he, he, he gets all these plays. He kind of manipulates them. And now he's got a quarterback in Matthew Stafford that's going to be able to spin it like the way he can. I'm going to tell you this. You remember Kevin Durant? Um, you know, Kevin Durant sitting in Oklahoma City. I think a better one is, is Kevin Garnett. Let's use him. Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. Okay. Did we all not know that Kevin Garnett was a good basketball player in Minnesota? We all knew he was good with the T-Wolves, right? But we never saw him play. We just never saw that guy play. He was always on a marginal team, but he was great. When did we really go like this? Man, this guy was when he was in Boston and they won that championship. And all of a sudden you're like, that dude is a freak. He is great to watch. I think that's what's going to be the same thing here with Matthew Stafford. I think we're all going to look at this and go like this. Man, Matthew Stafford's been in Detroit for over 10 years, and we didn't say – and you look at his numbers. This guy's got gigantic numbers, man. But now what's going to happen with the Rams? you got an owner that's going to put commodities and assets around him, and they're going to try to deliver a Super Bowl. That offense is going to be a very good offense. Now – I still think they have to be able to get a better running game going than they have in the last two years. I know Todd Gurley, that thing fell on its face, but they've got to get a running game. And that's something Stafford has never had. He's never had a running game. I don't think he ever had a thousand yard rusher. Maybe Reggie Bush early in his career. I'm trying to think of a thousand yard rusher in Detroit during his time. I think maybe. It was Reggie Bush. Um, I don't hold me to that, but I don't remember a lot of guys putting big numbers up up there. And he needed it, and he got his ass handed to him. How many times do you see Matthew Stafford on his back because they just couldn't get anything going inside the red zone? So I like the Rams. Rams are one of my top five. I'm going backwards here from five to one. I, you may be shocked here, but I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to score a lot of points. I don't know if they're not going to lose by a lot of points. My bet is this. They're going to be like a 35 to 37 type football team where they score 35 points, but they give up 37 points and lose. 
I just don't see that side of the football yet. And I'm not addressing that side of the football yet. I'll talk maybe tomorrow or excuse me, Monday about my top five defenses. But I would say this to you right now, that the Dallas Cowboys have one of the top five offenses in all national football league. And I'm not saying that because they gave Dak the $42 million. They were doing that stuff last year and they were on pace to put up giant numbers. Dak was going to be 5,500 yards potentially last year. I mean, he was going to throw for a boatload of touchdowns. He was on pace for big numbers. And that Dallas team, I think now a little bit healthier in the offensive line. The question mark is going to be really Ezekiel Elliott. You know, I, I've never been a fan of, Amar of Amari Cooper. I think he overpaid for him. Okay. When you pay a guy $20 million, I mean, at that position, I, I, I've made my point here on the National Football Show numerous times when I told you, I just don't think you pay wide receivers that kind of money. I'm not paying my wide receiver that kind of dough. When you come to my organization, know this. If you're a wideout, I'm going to win the way New England did. You're not going to make big money at that position. I'm going to put all my money in the offensive line and in my front seven on defense. That's not going to wideouts. That's why you're never going to see a big-time wideout with big-time money in that place as long as Bill Belichick's there. You're, you're burning money. You could use that money towards your salary cap, and you can use that in other areas on your special teams or in your depth level of your football team. So Amari Cooper, to me, I think he's overpaid, and I think he's probably overhyped. But the Cowboy team is all going to be dictated, I think, on how they run the ball and keep that thing in third and short. And if they can keep that offense in third and short, that Cowboy team's going to score north of 35 points a night, and you're going to have to get into a track meet with them to beat them. That's a really good-looking offense. And if they stay healthy with that sorry-ass schedule, they can win some ball games this year. Outscoring people, keeping their defense on the sidelines. See, that, that's one thing that they have the ability to be able to do. You ready? The Cowboys don't have – don't be a big strike offense like Brady wasn't when he was up in New England. Intermediate passing game. Get your passing game going, three yards, five yards, seven yards, seven. What does that do? You win time of possession and you keep that defense on the side because you can't have that defense out there for 70 plays. If you have the Cowboy def offense on the field for north of 65 plays, you're going to win a lot of games. If the Cowboy defense is on the field north of 65 plays, you're going to lose a boatload. You can't have an all you you can't have your defense with more plays especially in Dallas. That's why I think this offense can they can kind of control the game by keeping that defense on the side. Can't have three and outs in Dallas this year because that'll be detrimental to them trying to win some ball games because that defense is not good enough. There's not very many anchors in that front seven. And if those guys that are there, they're very young and still have to be developed. They're like green apples on a tree right now. They'll get there, but they're not there right now. And as I said, I, I look, I, the Packer offense is – exceptional because of the guy throwing the ball. The guy throwing the ball is just exceptional. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is exceptional. You know, they kept Aaron Jones, which is so important, man. I mean, that's the one that's the one component that I couldn't get in the offseason that Green Bay was looking to. Remember Green Bay? There was a point where they were thinking about moving off of him, and then at the 23rd hour, they ended up giving Aaron Jones the contract, and I think that had a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers throwing some shade out there going, you're going to let that guy go too? You're not going to sign? You're not going to draft? 
You're not going to go and find wideouts or offensive weapons for us, and we're going to lose a guy because you don't want to pay him an extra couple million bucks. This is the problem that I'm talking about with how the Packers are run. We were talking to Brian Baldinger about this yesterday, and I said it to you. I mean, the Packer organization is run by committee. You got too many dudes in the room, man, making decisions for the entire team. Mark Murphy, the president of the team, he goes around an actual boardroom because it's run by a board of directors. Here's where we're going. Okay, well, that's not really how you build a team. There's got to be one. This is where I give the Cowboys, okay? Right or wrong, they got Jerry Jones in the room, okay? In New England, they've got Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick. Those two dudes make all football decisions, man. And Kraft leaves it up to Belichick. He makes all football decisions. In Green Bay, you've got committees making football decisions. you got all these dudes in that, in, in that building making, again, making decisions. And I think that that's really hurt that organization when it comes to putting good pieces around bro Favre and Aaron Rodgers. So I like the Packer offense this year. I think it's going to continue to get better and better under Matt LaFleur. I think LaFleur has really shown me that he's a pretty good play caller. I think you just got to get a little bit more onion, son. You got the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field, and I blame him for this. That NFC loss last year in the championship game, you know, I don't know if I blame the, the entire game, but I blame a lot of that loss that I thought those guys really got out coached by Bruce Arians and that coaching staff on the other side with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich, the coordinators. I really thought they just got out coached. No doubt about it. Okay, I'll give you my top two offenses in the National Football League. Don't forget, Kurt Warner at the top of the hour. Keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future 
is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Kurt Warner at the top of the hour. We'll try to run our friend down from the NFL Network and get his thoughts on all the storylines that are out there in the National Football League. All right, I, I, I left off. I was asked by the NFL Network to give those guys earlier today my top five offenses, and I ran down. I started at five. I said Rams at five. Cowboys at four, Packers at three. And I still think the two top offenses in the National Football League are the Buccaneers and Chiefs, and I think the Bucs are second. I think the Buccaneers are going to be a lot better this year. There are so many weapons on that team with Goodwin and with Evans. I think the running backs that they have, they're loaded in the backfield. I think their offensive line, which was really the question mark, I thought going into the 2020 season – I thought they got better and better and better, and I really thought they got better after the Chicago game. Now Brady throws a tantrum on the sidelines. Everybody was pissed. I think they had a bye after that. You know, there were so many penalties in that Bears game. Uh, they had pre-snap penalties. You had penalties and turnovers and overthrows and maybe not the greatest play calling. There were a lot of things that just went sideways. For the Bucks, but they came out of that and everything was righted and the ship was sailed in the right direction. And boy, I'll tell you, they got better and better and better. And they got better and better and better, not only on the offensive side of the football, but they got better on the defensive side of the football, especially when they got into the postseason. I mean, look at the run they had there. You know, they ended up taking out Drew Brees and they ended up taking out Aaron Rodgers in consecutive games. I mean, you know, you, just to get to the Super Bowl. Then they end up taking out Patrick Mahomes. Think of that. Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes. You took out three of those guys in consecutive weeks. So that defense, I mean, as much as we talk about the offense, I think Todd Bowles did a su- sensational job when it came to constructing a defensive game plan each and every single week for those particular quarterbacks. Because when you can stop those kind of guys, because those guys are going to get theirs. You know, you're talking the NBA. LeBron's going to get his triple-double in the playoffs. He's just going to get it because that's who he is. Michael Jordan, those guys are all going to score. James Harden, those guys are all going to get big numbers because that's just who they are. What you're trying to do is limit the other guys from getting theirs. Okay? The superstar guy's going to make, and he's going to get his. So they really did a great job. But to the Bucks' offense – I think they will be better because now they're going to have organized team activities, which means now they're going to be able to really get an opportunity to work together and to go over, you know, passing routes, not just sitting there on Zoom calls too. I mean, what those guys did last year with this Buck offense and Brady going from one formula to another formula, that's what I call schemes and systems. They're like formulas, okay? You're, you're, You're in one place for 20 years, then all of a sudden you pick up, you uproot your family, and then you go down to Tampa where everything is different. It's like learning Portuguese and Japanese. 
It's completely different in terminology. One coach may look at um, a slant pattern completely different than maybe a post pattern, blocking schemes too, man versus zone, all of that, man. Okay, it's it's you know it's it, it's it's really no question what they did. Unbelievable, just unbelievable job. And I really like the play calling of Byron Leftwich. You know, I I thought what was most, I thought what was most. I thought that what was most shocking, okay, I thought what was most shocking was that they were able to keep not only the players, but the coordinators. I'm trying to, like, formulate. You never see that. Team wins the Super Bowl. Those coordinators are first up for job opportunities, right? Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich was actually offered the Marshall job. That's where he played his college football. That's where he had – Massive success. Okay. He was offered the job, but you know what? He didn't want to get, he didn't want to get, you know, held down as being a college. He wants an NFL head coaching job. And I think without a doubt, I think that's one of the great things that you sit there and you see that you sit there and look at, and you know that when you hear him talking, he wants to be an NFL head football coach. That's a great thing when you're hearing that. So, and I think Bruce Arians had that really conversation with him. I talked to him before about this. And don't be shocked if one of those guys ends up getting the Buccaneer job when Bruce steps away. Bruce is not going to do this for um, a lot more years. We had Bruce Arians on the show a couple weeks ago, and Bruce was talking about he's having fun now. I even asked him the question, how many more years are we doing this? And he made it very clear that he thinks, what, we're having fun right now. We're winning. And I'm going to still keep going. And every year is going to be a different conversation with my family. My family still wants me to do it. And I'm still going to continue to coach as long as I can. And as long as I have the love for it, but I wouldn't be shocked if you look down the list one day and you look at it and you start seeing this. Okay. One day you get the opportunity to sit there and see Bruce Arians end up calling it a career. Okay. And one of these, one of these coordinators end up getting the coaching job for the Buccaneers. I like the Bucs offense. I think it's great. The Chiefs now, best offense in the NFL. And I do think he's the best head coach, play caller in the NFL. And I think Andy Reid has been marvelous as a play caller going all the way back to when he was in Philadelphia. I think one of the major things that he learned in Philadelphia and what I loved about how he changed the culture in Kansas City. Let me tell you what he learned in Philadelphia. There's a lot of chiefs inside the Philadelphia Eagles front office, right? The owner parachutes in and makes draft choices. The general manager handles the day-to-day roster and game-day roster and hires the assistant coaches, which is asinine. It's asinine. If it's, you, what are you? are you? Are you a glorified play caller then? You're not really a head coach. You don't have control of your roster, and you don't really have control of your coaching staff. Do you know what that entails? That means this. The position coaches are not loyal to the head coach. They're loyal to the GM. The players become loyal to the general manager and not the head coach. 
That's why you have discord. That's why you had all those guys that ended up being discouraged on the way that Doug Peterson ran that locker room in the very end. And so when Andy Reid, who lived in that environment, ends up getting blown out, he ends up going to Kansas City. And what happens? John Dorsey's in the room. John Dorsey's a great talent evaluator, but you know what John Dorsey is? He, he He's Howie Roseman 2.0. He wanted his, he wanted his statement and his influence on the success of the team to be known. You know, the really great general managers sit in the back. You know, I, I've told you this before. Bob Ackles, who dealt with Coach Johnson in Dallas, was his right hand man. I don't even know if you guys even know who Bob Ackles was, but that was Jimmy Johnson's right hand man. He was the guy that would go to Coach Johnson and tell him, "Hey, man, Charles Haley's out there." Let's go pick him up. I was in Dallas and I watched it. It was pretty remarkable to see when you got a general manager that sits in the background and does everything like Kevin Colbert. We had Kevin Colbert on the program with us a couple weeks ago. Kevin Colbert is there for Tom, Mike Tomlin. And that's exactly what went on in, in Kansas City. Andy Reid runs that franchise and has a culture in that franchise now where guess what, guys? It's my team. This is how we're going to do it. And there's one dude in charge. When you got a committee and you run your football team by committee, like we talked with Brian Baldinger yesterday. I mean, and, and, I, and I personally think that that's the problem that you have up in Green Bay is that you have a president of an organization and Mark Murphy. And by the way, um, the, the Packers – are one of the gold standards in the NFL when it comes to branding, logo, everything. Look at that stadium. If you've ever played a football game in that stadium, which I have, it's one of the absolute like cathedrals of football. It's wonderful to play a football game in that building. It's a great franchise and it's a great it's a great fan base. But how they do business is because they sit around a board of directors and they come up with decisions in a direction of the football team. Well, when you have that and you don't have one clear voice in the room, this is why I think you have issues on how you divorce yourself from Brett Favre, how you divorced yourself from, or potentially in the process now of divorcing yourself from Aaron Rodgers. And I, I, I don't believe he's not going to not be on that football team this year, but could he be off that football team in 2020 too? I do believe that that probably is more of a likely scenario to me. I, I I'll say it one more time to you. If he's on that team going into the 2022 season, I'll be awful stunned. I don't believe that he's going to retire in that uniform just because of the way that the organization has acted and handled themselves, even under the Brett Favre days. So, I mean, and, and, and if you're Aaron, don't you look around and you see what Tom Brady's doing and you see what some of these other quarterbacks now are going to get the opportunity to have more of a chance to maybe go to a place that's got talent around him. Look at Carson Wentz's situation. Carson Wentz goes from being in Philadelphia where they don't have a running game now you go to one with Jonathan Taylor, the kid from Wisconsin, who I thought really picked up his game, especially in the second half of the season. You got a defense on that side of the ball. And by the way, if you look at the stats, the Colts are 
in the top 10 in both offense and in defense heading into the 2021 season. You know, Chris Ballard has done a hell of a job at constructing that roster. And you look at the coaching staff that they have there, there's no question that that football team is one of the top rosters, I think, in the AFC. So, again, if you're Rodgers, you're sitting around and you're watching the way Russell Wilson is now also demanding that you put a roster together. You see the whole thing with Brady, and maybe, you know what, if, if, if you really want to take this back, Maybe what you do, you go back and you see what LeBron James has done with his basketball career. You know, LeBron didn't think that Cleveland the first time around was putting enough talent around him. They weren't putting enough good players around him. What does he do? He goes to Miami. Pat Riley gets Chris Bosh. You know, you've got D. Wade there. They construct a roster. They win a couple championships. And he parachuted out of that, went back. And you got Kyrie Irving in the building now in Cleveland. They end up putting a good roster together. Then they thought that then he thought basically at the end that the organization was inept. That's why he moved on to Los Angeles because they knew in the building there that they were going to put the assets around him. Maybe it's really truly LeBron that really started the mobile athlete being able to go places. And if you're a signature guy like the quarterback is today in the National Football League, you got to look at that position today. That position, unlike it was when I played in the game, when you had Dan Marino and John Elway, guys, I'll tell you, man, those places, okay, those players were treated just pretty much like everybody else on the roster. Now, with the amount of economics that are being thrown at these quarterbacks, I mean, Dak just making $42 million, and that's just the market value. These guys are now, like, they're, they're dudes that have a seat at the board of directors chair. These are guys now that... You, you're not going to sit there and not get their input any longer when it comes to, hey, um, we're thinking of going down this route here. This is where we're going. And I, I know that like some of the old school guys like Ron Wolf are saying, oh, well, you know, you know, these diva quarter. Well, dude, you, the money now doesn't speak to that. Okay. It really doesn't. These quarterbacks today are board of director guys. Let's bring in one of my favorite stories in the history of the National Football League. You know, I, I, I tell everybody, I played seven years of professional football. I had to go to the Canadian Football League. I had to go to the Arena Football League. I was drafted 56 in the NFL. I played in the NFL, and I played, like I said, in the World League. And I used to just marvel at Kurt Warner. And then when he gets, he gets the opportunity in the NFL, he goes on that magical run with the greatest show on – on turf, and he ends up with a gold jacket. Kurt, it's the greatest story, and I appreciate you doing this, man. It's the greatest story in NFL history, in my opinion, what you went through. Well, I'm not so sure about that, Dan. It's good to see you. Uh, it's good to be on. It has been uh, it's been an incredible journey, and for a long time, I wished it would have played out somewhat, somewhat differently, um, but then when I look back now, I'm, yeah, I'm very grateful that I have a one-of-a-kind unique story that so many people can pull from. Um, obviously, they just got done shooting a movie uh, about my life that hopefully will come out here at the end of the year. And so uh, not everybody gets stuff like that. And so I am I'm grateful and humbled for the journey that I took. Um, and, it, and it worked out pretty well for me. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you, I have become friends with Mike Martz and Dick Vermeil, and I've knew Dick for a long time. And they told me the story after Trent Green, and I go, so what was that decision-making like in the room when you guys went like this? 
okay, so we're going to hand the keys of the organization over to Warner. And Vermeil in the room said, there's something about this dude. I don't know what it is. There's something about this guy. And Martz was like, okay, let's go with <laughs> it here. And, and, and really, I mean, look at, I just wonder though, Kirk, how many guys out there are there like you that yeah. didn't get that opportunity? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's so hard to say um, because, you know, uh, it doesn't matter where you come from and, and where you play college ball and how high you get drafted. Um, I think what you're talking about with Coach Ramil is, is his ability to recognize that there was something there and for him to give me an opportunity to, to show that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that are talented, um, but they may not have that other thing that allows them to separate themselves. I and mean, when we're talking about NFL quarterbacks and uh, playing at the highest level, I mean, there's 32 of those guys in the world that can start at the NFL level. And, uh, and so it's, it's a rare, unique thing. Do I think there's other guys out there that are talented? Without a doubt. Um, you know, no, no question about it. Uh, and I wish there was more things like NFL Europe and the Arena League for them to have opportunities to play. I mean, I was so excited last year when the AAF and, and um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on um, the other league. Uh, XFL. But, yeah, the XFL, sure. Um, you know, those those two leagues were out there, and I'm thinking, okay, this is what we need for guys like myself to get a chance to showcase what they could do. I mean, I was fortunate that there were those leagues, that I got a chance to play and get better and for people to see me on whatever scale. So, you know, that's the disappointing part, I think, for me, is where do these guys go? Where, where would Kurt Warner be now if this was the landscape of football when I was going through, you know, my journey? I, I have no idea if I would have ever gotten another shot. And so to your point, um, I believe there's a bunch of guys out there that just need an opportunity to compete and show that they can play at the highest level. Let's go into the NFL here now, some of the storylines that are out there. And, you know, I've had a bunch of guys on, and we've talked about the Aaron Rodgers scenario. And, you know, you know, you know Kurt, I, I, I look at it now because of what Tom Brady did. And maybe even LeBron maybe even laid the landscape out for being a mobile athlete. And with the quarterback position becoming so visible now and becomes, you know, you're part of, of the board of directors now with the amount of money that's being $42 million is being given to Dak. Dude, you're at the board of directors table. Now I'm not saying you should have a say, but you should have an opinion that matters to these guys when you're there. I'm just wondering when you see Tom Brady getting Leonard Fournette, getting Gronk, getting a B, you think that's sending messages out to the rest of these elite guys that, Hey, these organizations should be building a championship team around me as well. Well, yeah, but but I think what's happened in Tampa is is a rare situation. Um, you know, we, we talk about LeBron James, and as you talked about, some of the NBA teams that we kind of look at and go, these guys are getting together and going, hey, let's put together some super teams. And there's four or five of those, you know, every year maybe. Um, the NFL's never had that before. I think it was kind of a perfect storm with Tom Brady in Tampa where Tom went down there. They had a bunch of great young pieces. Uh, Tom went there and then oh, Gronk goes, oh, well, let me come out of retirement. And, and then AB goes, well, I want to go down there. Or Tom has a little say in that. And then Fournette, uh, you know, goes there, you know, not even necessarily as a, and so all these pieces. And then we've seen that again, is that nobody thought there was any way they were going to bring 22 starters back after winning a Super Bowl. Yet everybody said, why not keep this together? Why not stay around? And we don't have to take quite as much money. And let's, you know, let's, let's have something special. 
But I think that's a very rare, rare thing. We haven't seen that kind of building of a team. Um, and again, let's, let's not get this wrong, is that, yeah, they have some really good, strong veterans, but they've got some good young pieces that were critical in what they did as well. It wasn't like, hey, we just picked and, and choose all the great players. We've seen that, you know, teams try to do that in the past and it hasn't worked out well. They put a team together, but they were fortunate that Tom Brady was able to have a say in getting some, you know, those other guys talked into coming and being a part of something. But I just think that's a that's a rare thing. If we're going to start comparing, you know, our team to what happened in Tampa, I think everybody's going to be disappointed. I, I think that's going to be hard to do uh, because, you know, that was just like I said, that was rare. Um, and so and then the other piece that you were talking about is, yeah, maybe you're at the board of directors table. But my only a, a point on you know all of this is that I have no problem with any player having a say, and especially quarterbacks and, and who they are. But to me, I know like when I was playing, there's no way I did any due diligence to know who would made our team better, what we needed. Yeah, I could have went in and said, hey, give me that receiver because he's really good. Or <laughs> you know, give me that offensive lineman because I want to be protected. Yeah, I could do that. But – you know, to me, if you're going to do that, you've got to do the work that goes with it. You got to sit in draft meetings. You got to watch film with these guys and go, okay, let's take a look at what we're thinking about and let's let's talk about the whole big picture, not just, hey, do you want to bring in this great receiver? Well, yeah, I do. You know, do we want to draft, you know, skill guys in round one? Yeah, I do. So I think there's more to it than just, hey, this guy makes a lot of money. He's the face of our franchise. He deserves, you know, the right to be listened to, which, yes, I mean, why not? Why would you not listen to, you know, those guys, the Russell Wilsons and, and the Aaron Rodgers? But, again, at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for your team. And if you're listening to those opinions, you better make sure that those opinions, um, you know, are vetted. Those guys are doing their due diligence and they're understanding what they're asking for. Because if you listen and then you go, well, I'm not really sure he knows – and you go a different route, you're going to have some problems. Even if you you listen to what they say, if you go a different direction, that becomes a problem area for me. And so that to me is where the fine line you come in here. And you just got to say, okay, if you you know want to say, we have no problem with that, but come join us for all of these conversations and be a part of all of this. So you know where we stand and what we're thinking so now your opinion can be shaped around what we believe is best for the football team. Let me let me slide this over now to Jacksonville and with the Tebow signing. You know, Kirk, I, I, I love Tim Tebow's religious convictions. I love the man. I love all the things that he represents. I, I, I think the message that he sends is something that we need in this country more and more. I think all of that's great. This is never a personal conversation when we're talking about rosters. But I would think a guy like that bugs you. And I'm talking about the football opportunities because I'm not talking about the man. We can separate that. The man I think we both love. I think the guy is without a doubt, you know, God, I'm I'm there with him. I love it all. Okay. But as a roster, as a guy knowing how those roster spots are given out, those things aren't handed out. Those things are earned. Those chairs in those locker rooms are earned. And a guy who struggled like you that had to climb up the ladder. I, I would think that that would bug a guy like you more than anyone. You, you know, it actually doesn't bug me um, because I, first point is I agree with you is you have to earn the right to make the team. Um, but there's lots of different ways 
um, to say you can make a football team better. You know, I tweeted this a, a few years or a few, few weeks back. You know, I've seen rugby players get opportunities to play in the NFL. I've seen basketball players uh, get signed that never played, you know, football before that got an opportunity because, hey, we think this guy can make our team better. I believe that's what's happened in Jacksonville. Is I don't know if anybody thinks he can play tight end. But what Urban Meyer said is we're building a culture here, and I want guys like Tim Tebow as a part of that culture. I want him in my locker room. How do I get him here? Well, it's not going to be as a quarterback. We tried that. How do I get him here? Well, maybe as a tight end. And so I have no problem with that because what a lot of people might say is, well, Tim Tebow didn't earn the right to get a tryout uh, as a tight end, which could very well be true. But the reason that he's getting that tryout is because he earned the right to be a part of a team because that coach believes he can make their team better. And so we can look at it and, and go, okay, what, what's it mean to earn the right to you know, have a chance to, to, to try out for a team? Well, to me, at the end of the day, it's does somebody in that organization believe I can make this team better? Is that catching touchdown passes? Great. Is that throwing touchdown passes? Great. Is that being a change of pace guy? Great. Or is that simply, let's try to find a way to bring this kind of character to our locker room because I believe it will make a difference in us building this culture. That to me is as earned a right as anything else. Now, at the end of the day, if he can't play and he makes a roster spot, well, now we can have a different kind of argument. But I would still say, there's been plenty of guys that I've seen make roster spots that didn't deserve roster spots either, but they felt like, well, maybe down the road or, or he's a young guy or we drafted him. I mean, we can go round and round. To me, there's a reason he got this tryout. We all know it's probably not because they think he can necessarily be an all-star tight end, but I have no problem with that because his reputation, who he is, being with Urban Meyer, Urban knowing him and seeing his leadership, has earned him a right to, you know, to, to have this tryout. And now he's going to have to prove it from there. But I have no problem with that because I've seen it happen in numerous ways. And, you know, and most of the time, let's just be honest, Dan, is most of the time when guys get opportunities, whether they're playing basketball or rugby, is simply because somebody goes, oh, he's a good athlete. Let's put him on this team because maybe we can transfer that into playing football. This is one of those that I think is the opposite. I don't know if he can play football here, but because of his character and the man that he is, we want him a part of our team. You could drop down to other levels and you'd say, well, I bet there was a, there's been a lot of guys, high school level, coaching staff, blah, 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 that were signed on because of what they bring to the table as a man, a person of character, the way they build a culture, their leadership, uh, and not as much about necessarily what they do from a performance standpoint but I think we all know that at the end of the day he's going to have to perform to some level to make this team and so that's why I don't really have a problem with it if he was handed a 53-man spot you know having never played the position I might be going okay now you know okay I don't know about this but he's still got to earn it like everyone else hey I have no problem with anybody getting an opportunity and proving that they belong there for one reason or another. So I don't really have a problem with uh, with Tim getting this opportunity. You, you, you know, Kurt, I think you bring up something that Jimmy Johnson brought up on the show. You know, when, when Jimmy got the job in Dallas, he brought a crap load of Miami Hurricane guys. 
inside the organization there. We were one in 15 that year, but you know, I asked him a couple days ago why he did that. He goes, well, same reason why Tim Tebow is going to be in Jacksonville. Urban Meyer is going to hire because get this, they had a conversation back and forth and I think you landed right on it. Ohio State and Gainesville guys are going to be littered on that 90-man roster because it's not about whether or not these guys can make the team. It's about the culture that they played in that's going to convey to the guys that are in there so guys are going to know the process that they're looking for, the expectations. So maybe the value, like you said, Kurt, of Tebow being in the room, this is what he wants. This is what's expected. This is how we're going to go through the process of building that. Maybe that's exactly the – the influence that he's looking for on bringing Tebow in there. Is that fair? I, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, I think we would all say the same thing. Like if all of a sudden you're starting a business or you're starting, you know, radio show or whatever, you know, the first thing we do is, is we think about people that we know, people that connect with us, people that we know we can trust and will bring something specific to the table. And we're always going to lean there first because it's comfortable. That doesn't mean they're always the best person, but I know I think that way. Oh, man, this person would be great for this position because I know what they're all about. And all the while, I'll be looking for other people and go, hey, maybe I can find somebody that's better or more suited for whatever. But I think we all do that. We want to surround ourselves with people that are like-minded, people that understand who we are, uh, can connect with us, and can make us better uh, from a synergy standpoint. Um, And so, yeah, I don't think there's any question, you know, when everybody got into this big uproar about this, I I was kind of surprised because it was, to me, it was a no brainer. Like they're not bringing him here as a tight end. They're bringing him here as a leader and a culture guy. And they're hoping he can play tight end so he can stay around and be a part of this. And we would all do the same thing. We all find roles for people that we know have some value to our organization even if they're not the front runner, even if they're the third guy down the down the line, hey, if he makes it as a third or fourth string tight end and a, a change of pace quarterback, but he can bring what Tim Tebow can bring to a locker room, okay, is that a win? You know, does that help Jacksonville? Does that make them better? Um, and that really, to me, was the ultimate question from the get-go. But, you know, I think it got skewed and, and clouded a little bit because of some of the other scenarios we've seen, you know, recently in our league. Two last questions for you, Kirk. Let me let me, let me throw this at you here. I I talked to Brian Baldinger about this yesterday, and I said the move of the offseason has to be in San Francisco. When you're able to keep a dude like Jimmy Garoppolo there. Now, look, I know he's missed 53% of his games, but he's 22-8 and eight as a winner. He's got an NFC championship ring in his drawer. The guy's a really fine quarterback when he's healthy, and yep. you are able to move up, and you are able to draft your future – and you're able to keep those guys on the roster at the same time. Who knows what happens? Maybe Garoppolo ends up going on a string where he keeps the gig. He wins Super Bowls. You have an asset there that you could potentially trade away and trade Lance. I mean, to me, that's the move is keeping that guy there and having your future at the same time. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. Only thing I would say is I, I'm, I think at the end of the day, we're going to ask, do they give up too much to do that? Uh, because they do have a really strong team. And I believe they're going to compete this year, assuming their quarterback position plays well, that they're going to compete this year. And so, you know, my only question is, did you have to give all that up to find yourself in this same similar situation with one of these quarterbacks? But 
But again, I mean, we all know the quarterback position, it doesn't matter what you give up if you get one, you know, if you get one that can be that guy. And so that will be the determining factor here. But yeah, I think San Francisco is in a great spot with Jimmy and, and being able to be there and see what he can be, bring in a young guy that, that needs some time to, to grow and, and, and figure that out. And, you know, like a lot of teams, the, the key is that quarterback position, right? How long can you play with a guy on a minimum salary or on a rookie contract? So if he does pan out, man, maybe that means we can keep all of this, you know, all these other guys in place because we've got a good, young, talented team. Sign some of those other guys. and We don't have to pay huge money to a quarterback. Um, and that may help them to sustain this thing um, for a while. So lot to be determined. Um, but if this plays out well, I think they're in a great situation to let their guys sit, not have to rush the young quarterback in, and still be a really, really good football team. Finally here, uh, Jalen Hurts, fan or not a fan of him in Philadelphia? Uh, I, I like Jalen. I think he's a competitor. I think he's a winner. Um, and that, to me, those things are the things that you know, I think he's a leader. I should add that as well. Um, just watching what he did in college and how he carried himself and the way people feel about him. That, to me, uh, is what, first and foremost, you want at that position. Um, now, I'm not sold that, um, you know, that he's going to be a great elite quarterback from the standpoint of skill set uh, and, and physically throwing the football because I haven't seen enough of it yet. I think he brings a lot of things to the table. I think a team can win with him because of those other intangibles and, and his, you know, the ability to move and make plays and be a playmaker. But I still need to see more from an every down consistency standpoint as a passer to know what kind of quarterback he'll be throughout his career. Uh, but this to me was, you know, the, the right move, the only move that Philly could make after some of the things he did early was we got to give this guy a chance. We got to see what he can be in that starter's role. Um, and, you know, and I think we'll all get a better idea of who he is and who's he, who he's going to be at the NFL level this coming year. You know, the, the toughest job that you have, I don't know how you get a word in with Michael Irvin sitting there on that desk. I just, I know playmaker 30 some odd years. And, um, you know, when I'm in a room with him, man, I shut up too. And I'm big mouth and Hey, <laughs> he looks like he loves you though, man. Uh, he's good people. We, we love our show. We have so much fun together. Uh, you're right. It's always a challenge to get Mike to quiet down and, uh, uh, and, and try to speak over him when you've got something of quality to say because uh, he just gets bigger and louder. But uh, but we do. We, we truly love each other, and we have a blast on our show. And, um, you know, it's what makes four hours fun. It's what makes people want to watch us is because we truly do like each other, and we're, we're close friends. Um, and I think we can all laugh at each other too. And that's a great thing you know about Michael uh, and really all the guys on our set is that he doesn't take himself too seriously. He knows who he is and, and he has fun with it and he's able to laugh at himself. And, you know, that's just kind of a part of our, our show. And so uh, Irv's a, a great dude with a great heart. Um, and, and I love working with him every week. Absolutely, man. You guys do a great job. And Kurt, I really appreciate you taking time all the time for me, man. When you have that moment on your calendar for me, man, you're always spectacular. God bless you and your family. I can't wait to see the movie when it comes out. We'll be pimping that bad puppy out there because I think it's a story every kid should know that there's somebody out there. Ryan Tannehill's probably going to look at that story and go, I know exactly what he's talking about there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they gave up on me. Now look at me. I'm making $30 million a year in Tennessee. So. Thank you so much, Kurt. You bet, Dan. Anytime, Eddie. You got it, man. The legendary Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner there. 
just, I mean, it's one of the greatest stories of all time. And the story is just absolutely legendary. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. We're going to run down our friend, Tony Bruno. You keep it here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Great to catch up with Kurt Warner. One of the absolutely greatest stories in NFL history. You know, the job he had before he became the Rams starting quarterback, he was actually stacking shelves at a grocery store. And I believe it was Charlie Army who was in the Rams organization said, hey, Dick, you got to take a look at this guy. And Vermeil goes, hey, you know, I've heard a lot about him. And he is really a talented kid. And he goes, you're really going to love the guy. And I can't wait to watch this movie, man. I, I'm just telling you, I think without a doubt, you're talking about one of the greatest stories of all time. Then the guy goes on, puts on the greatest show on turf. Then he goes on and wins the Super Bowl. He wins the Super Bowl MVP. And then at the end of the day, this guy does enough to win himself a gold jacket or earn himself a gold jacket, man. You talk about a legendary run. And a guy who was kicked off of, I don't know how many teams, like four or five teams. I know he was in Green Bay, and he was up there when they had like Mike Holmgren up there, and they were like, I think Mooch was also up there as a quarterback coach. 
with Andy Reid and all those guys were seeing him up there, really um, just absolutely a legendary show. Really was up there, man. All right. I got to bring in my guy here, man. I, you know, I barely bow to certain guys that are in my business, and this is a guy that I do. Um, he is, I think, the best sports broadcaster that I know, and he has been in the business such a long period of time. He's seen it, done it all. Um, he's trying to deal with the woke people of the world now, and I don't think, and I'm with him. I, I, I you know, I don't know how people do radio shows anymore. But we have our friend Tony Bruno here with us right now on the National Football Show. How are you doing, TB? I'm great, man. I don't deal with them anymore. Now I just uh, swat them away like flies. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing my own thing on No Filter Network, and we do whatever we want. I don't have to worry about anything. And so now the bottom line is, you know, 50 years in the business, I've pretty much done everything I've wanted to do. So I'm just chilling right now. I do a couple of shows a week. I do one tonight. on I do one on Friday at 7 o'clock. But you have to go to nofilter.net. To figure it out it doesn't cost you anything but you just you just can't log on you have to go in robin can you get my phone i'm getting all kinds of uh no. my buddy aj in san antonio texas says texas is 100 percent open now no more masks dan as america is finally coming back breaking news and when news breaks i will have it for you here exclusively on the dan filio show hey hey, hey tone this has been such a challenging year here too and you know how do you think the sports world did with COVID-19? I think it did great. I mean, let's go back to last year. I was on the air then on Sirius XM and on Sports Map Radio, and there was no sports. And we were talking about whether baseball was going to finally play. Remember they were arguing about, are they going to play 30 games? Are going to be 50? And then they, and people were getting pissed off, especially especially at, the, at Major League Baseball. I think they, they were just messing around so much that people got sick. Hockey got it done. The much maligned sport of hockey figured it out. And then the NBA, they did the bubble, and it worked great. And then it didn't take that much long later, and then sports was back for another season, and now the other regular seasons are over in hockey and in, uh, and in NBA, and now the playoffs are on. And so we didn't have bubbles. I know Toronto had to go through situations where they were playing down in Florida, but everybody handled it. The games, you know, a lot of players sat out, especially the NBA. That's become a norm now. It used to be tanking when the 76ers were doing it, Dan, back in, back in the day. And now every team has pretty much told the fans, we're going to do this. If you want to pay your good money and go see the superstars, chances are you might not see them. Now, LeBron was hurt with his foot, so he missed a bunch of games. But, you know, when you go to a game and then you find out the best guys on both teams aren't playing tonight and you forked out a lot of money and you're finally allowed to go back into a building and pay for parking again and beer and all the other stuff and drop a couple of hundred bucks, and then you go and you're watching that it's the B team, I don't think that's fair. And I know players want to rest with the playoffs, but I don't remember Will Chamberlain or any of those guys or, or our Dr. J or, you know, uh, you name the players. They didn't take nights off. They were playing every night. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. And, and you know, my favorite thing is I heard LeBron James talking today. He's going like this. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll never be 100%. And I went, what a worm. I go, Tom Brady last year played with, like, a cracked hairline fracture in his ankle. The guy had knee surgery. I didn't hear him bitching about it. I didn't even know he was hurt until the offseason. And then this guy's like, hey, you know, I got poked in the – I, I don't know, Tone. Maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm like, you know – these guys here, that sport especially, man. I mean, I, I, I get your – my problem with him is he has to tell me how great he is. Brady never tells me how great he is, and I know it. Yeah, again, and I don't want to do comparison. Listen, 
you know you're you're an athlete. You played at the highest levels in college. You played in the NFL, so you know what it's like to go out and get ready. And obviously, football players more than any athlete. Hockey players bang around too, but football players, you know, practice more than they play. Every single, you know, they got the camps and all this other stuff, and they don't play a game now until late August, if if then. So football, to me, I think players are working out every day in all sports. But you know that football players in college, they go in and have spring practice. They have spring games. They're always playing or always competing. And then when the season comes, there aren't that many games, so they have to play every week. But they're still working every single day. Now, NBA players work hard, too, and they're playing multiple. They're playing 82, and so is hockey. But to me, when you start taking off games just for, uh, what is it called now? Something Load, load management. management. Yes. Load management. Seriously? <laughs> and now the younger fans – they now they've been forced into accepting this. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm not going to complain now. I just spent a lot of money, but I'm going to go see, for example, regular season Sixers play the Celtics, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons aren't there, and now there are uh, Jason Tatum and a couple of other Celtics. You pay money, you go to the game, and you're like, dude, this isn't this isn't what I paid for. This isn't like you go to Broadway and the main performer has a sore throat and there's an you know, understudy that goes in. These are the stars. There's only 12 guys on a team taking off unless you're sick or unless you, you, know, you have an injury is inexcusable to me. But they have now conditioned the fans that this is the way it's going to be from now on. Hey, Tony, I, I want to get into the Eagles here. We had Frank Reich on with us a couple days ago, and I, I thought he told me some telling things about how the Eagles were run. I asked him who called, and I know, you know, Tony, we had that that storyline going out there about Wentz potentially going to this place, that place, but I think everybody had circled that it was going to be the Colts. And I asked Frank who made the call initially to make the trade for the Eagles to send him to the Colts. And Frank said that the owner called. It wasn't the general manager. The owner called Frank and uh, Mr. Ursay to make that move and then how he followed up. What? Tell me your thoughts on how you think the Eagles are run as an organization. I thought there were, I thought Jeffrey Lurie was considered one of the best owners in football. And I, you know, he never meddled in the team. You know, he let this general manager do the do the picks. But I think this last year, Dan, was really, really a bad, bad spot for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think the way they handled the season, the way they handled Carson Wentz, the way they handled Jalen Hurts, the way they handled pretty much everything really gave them a black eye. And I think that last game, and we've talked about this a lot, that last Sunday night game when they didn't even dress Carson Wentz and didn't even play him, knowing that pretty much sending the message that we don't want you here anymore. And then even Al Michaels and the Sunday night crew are saying, what's going on here? Not that they were insisting that Carson Wentz plays. I don't think anybody had a problem with Jalen Hurts starting, but then you don't even have him dressed for his potential last game. So Jeffrey Lurie took a lot of flack from him around the entire NFL. So all these general managers and owners who respected the guy, they didn't care about Howie Roseman or Doug Peterson, the coach. It goes to the top, and the owner is at the top. As you mentioned, Bob Ursay, Jim Ursay, I'm sorry. You, it goes to the top. The owner is in charge, and it's no, there's no doubt that the reason Jeffrey Lurie had to do it, as you, learned, you found out, Jeffrey Lurie had to be the guy because Jeffrey Lurie was the guy who said, don't start Carson Wentz. It was not his general manager. And when, when he took the heat, he figured he had to go out there and let's get the best situation for us too because I think he realized that if he goes to Frank Reich, who we hired and helped them win a Super Bowl with that coaching staff, 
that Frank Reich would understand and he would try to get the best deal possible. But Lurie didn't get the best deal possible. That's because he botched the way the the end of – and this isn't about Carson Wentz, whether he's great or whether he sucks. This is about a, an owner meddling and then putting himself against the wall where he couldn't go out and shop a guy. When you look at all the quarterbacks that have moved around this year, to me, I think Carson Wentz is in the best situation with Frank Reich. There's talent around him. They are, they got offensive line help. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts go deep into the playoffs. And you know what will happen here on the local Philly talk shows? Their heads will explode every week. The same people are like, get him out of here. Get him out. He's out there hunting. And he, he's too religious. You know, and all this other stuff. And he wasn't really the guy that took him to the Super Bowl. It was Nick Foles. Next year, I guarantee you this, every single – it's sort of like Trump with the politics. Trump's gone, but they still have to talk about him every single day, even though he's gone. Carson Wentz is gone. And if they play well in Indianapolis and the Eagles struggle a little bit, you watch. The fans in town are going to start screaming, oh, my God, see, they should have kept Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts isn't ready. So that's the way fans are everywhere, especially in tough sports sounds like Philly, Boston, New York. You know how those fans are. They, they, they always want to complain and argue, and it's not – vitriol it's just they think they know more than the players and the coaches and the gms but they don't they're just fans and that's what fans do tell tell me if you follow my thinking here with this because boy i'll tell you nick seriani who was on the coaching staff there in indianapolis okay so i asked frank this question too when did you identify that he was going to be the guy you were guys were going to target he goes right away so that made me think this. So as soon as the regular season and that Sunday night game that you you pointed out, so did they know that night that they were going to fire Doug Peterson eventually? Because all of a sudden you're in a conversation to make a deal to send Carson Wentz to Indianapolis. Where did Nick Sirianni's name and that whole dialogue start to go back and forth where all of a sudden the owner and the general manager, you're doing a dual track move here. You're not only trying to get rid of the player – that's got that gigantic contract. But now all of a sudden, too, it's Nick Sirianni. Is he a stopgap coach to the next guy after you get done paying off Doug Peterson? Is that what they're doing here with this? It just seems to me they really, like you said, Tony, that Sunday night game, you saw the players on the bench. And like you said, I saw the players mouthing this. What the you-know-what is going on? Mm -hmm. You saw the Eagle guys go, holy you-know-what. And I'm just wondering, had they made their mind up, you think, that they were moving on? I don't know so much with Doug, but maybe they they had already made their mind up. They were getting rid of Wentz somehow, some way. No, you're absolutely right. They that, that was that was you couldn't put it on the table for the whole nation and the whole world to see what they did to Carson Wentz. Again, I didn't care if he started, but you can't you don't dress the guy. And then you put in the guy who was the third string quarterback who can't play a lick and have him go out there and embarrass himself and the organization even more. And then you had the coach afterwards. See, I think Peterson pretty much it, – it looked like he wanted out because when he addressed the media afterwards, he wasn't exactly happy about the situation either. So that said to me that he was told that that's what he was supposed to do. And, you know, coaches don't like – this is Jerry Jones all over again. Jerry oh, yeah. Jones – but Jerry Jones at least was the owner and general manager. Jeffrey Lurie was never the general manager. He was never a personnel guy. That's why Howard hired Howie Roseman. And so to me – I think that the Doug Peterson situation exploded the very next day when he had his press conference. After the game, he wasn't very happy. And the next day, when they asked him to talk about it again, he really didn't care. He knew that his, his time had come, and it was time for him to move on too. So 
that's when the Colts, that's when Jeffrey Lurie went back to the Colts and said, Hey, we, you know, we got the, we, we got the Carson Wentz is out of here, but let's take a guy off their coaching staff who can come in here and maybe work with a young quarterback and Carson in, in, uh, in Jalen and Jalen Hurts. And uh, that's what happened. I don't think that they were going to fire Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson was so embarrassed and so humiliated after all he had done as a coach, all of a sudden now he's out. So when you get rid of the quarterback and then you bury the coach and you embarrass him, I think the coach was happy to be fired. Now he's sitting at home. Have you heard anybody talking about Doug Peterson? No. Is he working in any broadcast networks? He's sitting on a beach somewhere where I hope to be in a few months when I move to Florida, Dan. <laughs> Two last questions for you, my friend Tony Bruno. What do you make of what do you make of Jalen Hurts? I mean, I, I haven't seen enough of him. Obviously, he was a great college player. We saw him at the highest level. Now he's got a receiver who played with him in Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner. I think I don't know him personally. I don't root against him. I don't care what his color is. I mean, the Eagles have had, you know, Donovan McNabb. They go back to Rodney Pete. They had the, they took a Michael Vick. They brought Michael Vick and Jeffrey Lurie, you know, who got a lot of heat for taking a guy who had gotten out of jail, did his time, did the crime, and he was a free man. No one had to sign him. Jeffrey Lurie said, I think he deserves a chance. So Jeffrey Lurie took chances, and the Eagles have had a lot of great African-American. Randall Cunningham, as you mentioned, yeah. one of the all-time greats. So Philly is not a team that town that doesn't, doesn't embrace black quarterbacks. It's a team that embraces good quarterbacks. Even Ron Jaworski, remember once from Ron Jaworski, then to Randall Cunningham, as Jaworski at the end of his career was basically tutoring. Cunningham used to come in on third down when Jaworski was the starter, and that's how the Cunningham era started. He'd come in and make a big play, run for a first down, and so the transition happened there. The transition from Jalen Hurts, from uh, from uh, from uh, Carson Wentz to Jalen Hurts, I don't think that was supposed to happen this year. I think they were hoping that things went well, that the Eagles would be a good team again. They made the playoffs the year before, and that they were going to click again. Miles Sanders and all the other stuff, he was back. And I think everything just went to hell. Their offensive line was terrible. You know, they really didn't have any cohesion on offense. Their defense was a sieve. And so everything collapsed at one time. And so I think the situation here was they expected to be a lot better. And then they finished four, what, four and 12. And so that's when they realized we got to do something. And that's when they realized put Jalen Hurts in now to see what we have. And so I think they've, they've seen enough of him that they think he's the guy, and hopefully he is. I don't know if he's going to be the guy or not. But I'll tell you one thing, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him here in Philadelphia because if he gets out of the gate and struggles, uh, then the fans will be all over him. But that's the way it works no matter what color you are, who you are. You know, when you're drafted that high as a quarterback and everybody knows, why did you draft a quarterback? It wasn't like he was a first-round guy. I mean, they took him a little bit later, but the message was clear. You don't draft a guy that high, that good, and say he's the guy maybe next year, and then all of a sudden decide he's the guy this year. So to me, they put the onus on, on Jalen Hurts. He's around. He's already out there playing with, with his receivers, so I think that's always a good sign when quarterbacks work with their receivers in the offseason, go out, throw the ball around. I like that part of the NFL where you can do that, and so at least that's happening right now. Absolutely. Finally here, I must get uh, your, your thoughts on Tim Tebow. I mean, a, a tone. As of today, top five selling items on NFL.com. I saw that. Are all Tim Tebow items? Your thoughts on this? Well, yeah. Again, I'm not, and, and I'm like, this isn't about Tim Tebow versus Colin Kaepernick, which a lot of people did the day that Tebow was signed. And interestingly, the day that Tebow was signed, remember his college coach signs him to go in there and try out his tight end. He didn't sign him and say make him the quarterback. So then you remember that day. It was all about well. 
You know, look, Colin Kaepernick sitting at home and Tim Tebow gets another job. What's interesting about that hole, and everybody went crazy but both ways. I don't care either way. If the coach wants – coaches do that all the time. College coaches always are familiar. And how about Jimmy Johnson? How about all the other coaches? Bill uh, – not Bill Belichick. Uh, Bill Parcells did it. When Bill Parcells left the Giants and he went elsewhere, what did he do? He brought in his coaches that he knew. He brought in players that he knew. Jimmy Johnson did the same thing when he went to Miami from Dallas. And so that's what's going on with Jacksonville, the coach. New Tim Tebow brought him in. Does that mean he's going to make the team? Does that mean he's going to start? So the next day, after everybody's screaming, Colin Kaepernick should have had a job as a quarterback in the NFL when everybody knows he doesn't even want to play. He's better off not being in the NFL because the pressure would be more. The next day, he announces he's writing books and a magazine, which is going to be continuous his, 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 uh, his argument that cops are the bad guys. And, you know, the whole thing with the pig socks. A lot of people don't like him for that. That's what I have a problem with. When you don't disrespect law and order and then you profit from it, that was my biggest problem. I don't care. It, it, you know, somebody wants to sign Colin Kaepernick, God bless him. I don't sit here and say Kaepernick shouldn't play, but Tim Tebow should. It's individual choice by the owners. And I don't think Kaepernick right now even wants to play, but he loves the attention to sell his sneakers and to promote whatever he's promoting because everybody still thinks that he could step out onto a field and forgets how his career ended and how horrible he was in his final year. And on top of that, he also turned down money at the end of his career because he didn't think it was enough. So I think anybody who looks at this fairly and sees both sides of the issue realizes Colin Kaepernick, the best thing that happened to him was him getting out of football and becoming a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and doesn't have to worry about fans saying he sucks and he's not a good quarterback anymore. Now he doesn't have to prove anything. He can do his own thing and get money from Nike and, and do his uh, social justice stuff. I think it's the best thing that happened to him. Well, in, in closing here, Tony, I, I've made a call to the uh, Tampa Tribune, the Miami Herald, and I said, Bruno's on his way to Florida. And all you bocce ball players out there, just know this, <laughs> bocce di bocce. Don't let this guy on a bocce court here because Bruno's the greatest bocce guy of all time. And one of the greatest tournaments of all time was in the Bay Area with our very dear friend, Gary Radnich, man. I mean, hey, Tony, I, I, I love that you're moving to Florida, man. That's got to be a great journey for you to get down, get on down there. Well, I've always loved Florida. I've been there a million times. You know that, Dan. I go to Tampa all the time, Miami, the Keys, and Clearwater to watch spring training. So I'm, it's not like I'm moving because all of a sudden, you know, Ron DeSantis is governor, although that doesn't hurt because obviously <laughs> people can go out. In fact, I went to Florida twice last year. I went there in August. I went to Disney and it was open and went to Disney World where the everything, you know, Disney does it right. They're not going to let people in the park. So they let the people in the park, limited number, restaurants were open, spaced out, social distancing. Then I went back to Florida in, in January twice what, to go look for a property. So I've been to Florida multiple times during the heat of the pandemic and we did the smart stuff. Robin and I, Miss Robin, we went to places, we did everything responsibly and we didn't get COVID and we didn't die. And so that's how you do it. You, you, you're responsible. You do the right things. And so when we found a lot, we were looking around and we found some lots. And, and lots are, you know, now we have to wait for a house to be built because everybody's buying property in Florida. But luckily, oh, we yeah. locked it in in January and hopefully it'll, they'll start construction. But I probably won't be there until next season, next year. I can't wait. Tony, you make sure you tell Miss Robin I love her. I love you guys so much. You guys are just spectacular to me all the time. Tony, thank you, Mr. President. I appreciate you coming thank on, you. brother. Get a shout out to Xander Krause out there. I didn't even realize he was the man behind the 
behind the, <laughs> the glass. On the other side of the glass, Xander Grouchy. Love that kid, man. Love him. You bet, man. Bruno, he says you rule. Brother, thank you so much, Tony. All right, Dan. Good to talk to you always, man. You got it, man. That's the legendary Tony Bruno. Let's take a brief time out. You keep it here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy, Dan Cilio. Always great to catch up with our friend, Tony Bruno. <laughs> Big time guys today, huh? Kurt Warner talking earlier on the program. By the way, we tell you this all the time. All the folks that watch the show, we hope you'll share the show, like the show, do whatever you have to just to spread the word about the National Football Show here on the Jacob Media Channel. So we appreciate everybody coming aboard with us today, as you do each and every single day. And it's growing and growing and growing. I mean, next week, Stephen Jones is going to join us. Rich McKay, the president of the Atlanta Falcons, is going to join us. Clay Helton, the head football coach of the USC Trojans, is also going to join us. Dan Mullen from the Florida Gators is going to join us next week. So. We got a boatload of guys that are going to be primed and ready to go as we get into the fall camps, the OTAs. By the way, I I do think one of the big stories next week, because, you know, the Deshaun Watson story is, I think, going to start picking up steam now. Because 
as we get closer to July 25th through the 27th, these are when teams start showing up for the fall camp, which means you have to have an idea of where you're going at that position, especially with the Texans, on whether or not you're going to try to deal him, keep him, have him on suspension, and then bring him off suspension to play. There are a lot of things that the McNair family has to do, and also David Culley, the brand-new head football coach there with the Texans. I mean, they signed Jeff Driscoll, the former Gator quarterback, yesterday and put him on the roster. They've got a clouded room now because they got a bunch of dudes. That's it, pretty much. They got a bunch of dudes in the building. I think Tyrod Taylor's in that building as well. But, I mean, these are just a bunch of guys. What do you do with a person that you gave $39 million a year over the next five years to? Okay? He's making $39 million a year. Next week is organized team activities. I tweeted at Dan Cilio show to Deshaun's agent. Well, there was a couple months ago, I threw out that he was not going to show up to any organized team activities. What did he do, the agent? He, he fired back right at me saying, hey, nobody has said anything about that. Nobody has even suggested that he's not going to show. Okay, he basically shut me down on some of the things that I was hearing that he was not going to show up because his days in Houston were finished. Okay, well, now here we are. And I retweeted that question to him because to me, now you can now you're going to have to answer it. Is the National Football League going to put him on a. An exempt list. Are the Texans going to suspend him? Are the Texans going to look, and the NFL, going to look that it would be in the best interest that he doesn't have to be there at OTAs? Why wouldn't you think being there at OTAs with a brand-new head football coach, if you're thinking of truly keeping him on that team, don't you demand that he shows up? If you don't have any criminal cases against him, I don't know how the NFL Players Association is going to handle this, but to me, and I said this now, and how this case is starting to play out, we're not hearing a lot of noise, which means there's settlements that I think that are being constructed here. And I think there's going to be like a confidentiality agreements that are being constructed as well. What can and can't be said, because what you, what you want to make sure is, is that nothing gets out in the mainstream public. Because if you construct these uh, binding agreements where you're not going to be able to talk if you're one of the people that are in the civil cases, and you're filing a civil suit against Deshaun Watson, one of these people start barking and saying that this is kind of what happened, this is what went down. Tony Busby, the attorney that's representing all of these clients and all these people, I think there's 22 cases that are out there, okay? You've got to make sure the confidentiality agreements, man, do not go anywhere else because, one, if the Texans are thinking of playing him, trading him, playing him after suspension, then also you got to remember this. What about the perception of having him on your roster? What about the perception of how a sexual assault crime looks as the face of your franchise? There's got to be a game plan here. And to me, I don't think it can be just Deshaun Watson coming out and saying stuff. To me, I think this has got to be constructed through the Players Association, with the Texans, with the NFL, 
and with the player. Next week, this story, and I, we're going to be on top of this story because I think this is going to be part of the story that starts to get to a head here where we're going to have to know what the direction is. And we may know a little bit of what the truth is. If we start seeing settlements, my qu- I, I, I would feel better about the fact that he would play the majority of this coming season if we start to see some of the settlements. If this thing starts to get to a point where we're getting towards more of a court case, that's when I think Deshaun's going to have a lot of issues here. That's where I think he's going to start falling into a position where you may see the NFL and the Texans start to back away from this and just let this thing fall in because, quite frankly, they could they could negate the contract and they can void the contract with player conduct. Like I told you the last couple of days, there's a clause in the contract that says conduct detrimental to the NFL and to the team, which means you can void that contract that they've paid him that gigantic money to. That would also put a stigma on him as he moves forward. He would probably be released after that then. The contract would be voided. The National Football League, okay, would probably suspend him. And then you're looking at potentially eight-game suspension. He lost his money. The perception in the court of public opinion is going to be that this guy's guilty. Do you want to do that to Deshaun with cases like this when there's no criminal cases against him? These are all civil cases from what I'm understanding. Now, again, on May 21st, that may change on May 22nd. But as we speak today, we don't know if these are going to be criminal cases against him. So let's just keep that there. All right. The other story today, it just I'm, – I'm, I'm glad to hear Tony Bruno say the same thing. You know, and, and people did try to – you know, they, they said, look at the Kaepernick scenario, Han, how Kaepernick doesn't get an opportunity. Colin Kaepernick doesn't want to play football anymore. Colin Kaepernick enjoys the fact that Nike has made him a civil rights activist. And that's going to be something that he's going to be able to profit on. Remember something. The race business is a very lucrative business. Okay, just ask Al Sharpton. It's a very lucrative business. These guys make a lot of money in the race business. And he's a prime example of it. And so anytime, you're never going to see anything with justice with Colin Kaepernick. It's always going to be about injustice, even if there's a case there or not. National Football League doesn't want that in a locker room. And it's not that they don't want people pointing out injustices in society. Everyone does. You see somebody being mistreated. You see an animal being mistreated. You see a person being mistreated. You don't want to tolerate that. No one wants to tolerate that. Child abuse, none of that. Nobody wants to tolerate that. Most people on the planet, in my opinion, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I think you're good folk. But there's are, there are people that no matter what, you want to see the world burn. Okay? And when you're constantly lighting a match, to a story that's not there, like this January 6th thing. They keep continually going over and over and over in this thing. Okay, this thing's over with, dude. But we got to keep regurgitating the old news to keep it relevant. Keep That thing happened in January. We're already into almost the summertime now. It's over. It's old news. But that's how you keep your position, and that's how you keep being relevant. And same thing with Kaepernick. 
every time that there's something like this, like a Tebow getting in, and 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 we had Charlie Ward on with us last week, and Charlie Ward said it perfectly. This guy doesn't do a race. Tim Tebow got an opportunity because he's boys with Urban Meyer. That's the only reason. Kurt Warner said it too. I don't know if he makes a team. He's brought in for a reason. He's being brought in to show everybody this is how we do things here. This is how Urban's going to expect you to act. This is what our expectations are going to be. They're going to be high. They're going to be lofty. He's going to expect you to be on time. That's that's his asset. That's why he's being brought in. And in the, and in the end, whether he makes a team or not, look at the money Tebow's making now just on the merchandise. He's number like one in all the items on the NFL.com website. This guy's going to make a boatload of money no matter if he makes the team or not. So I think it's a good thing that he's there on the Jacksonville Jaguars team. All right. Should be a lot of news coming out of the weekend. Don't be shocked if you start to see a little bit more news on Julio Jones potentially getting moved around. We're getting closer to June 1, so we'll know a little bit more in free agency. Have yourself a great, great, great weekend. We'll catch you on Monday going 4 to 6 Eastern time. The only place you can catch us is on the Jacob Media Channel. We'll catch you Monday right here on the National Football Show. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.